0: Today we have a special interview with Kelly Shackelford, a man who many would call one of the greatest advocates for religious liberties and the First Amendment in modern American history. We talk the status of the First Amendment, COVID-19 lockdowns, and how we as Americans can protect freedom of religion into the future. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. Welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture. Today, I have the absolute honor of having with me the president and CEO of the First Liberty Institute, an accomplished lawyer, argued in front of the Supreme Court, uh, testified in Congress, has fought the fight for religious liberties in this country for a long time, Mr. Kelly Shackelford. Kelly, how are you?
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. So glad you're here. And Kelly, before I kick it to you, I would love for you to share a bit about who you are. But before I do that, I like to start each of these interview episodes with giving a little context and something that I've appreciated about the person I'm interviewing from watching them and what they do really well. And so Kelly, something I've, I've noticed about you from getting to know you over the last year, but then watching your work and the impact you're having in our country. It's always so awesome to see someone who is giving their God-given gifts back to advance the kingdom. So using the very things that God has gifted them with to bless and advance his kingdom. And so just want to thank you for that. Cause it's really inspiring, especially for a young person like me to watch, to know that that's really the end goal to use the gifts God's given us to advance his kingdom for others. So Kelly, who are you for the <laughs> listeners that don't know you? Could you share a little bit about who you are, your background?
1: Yeah. Um, I, uh, uh, Grew, I guess I go back to, to when I was in high school. I knew my gifts were in analytical thinking and speaking and uh, really struggled. To, do I want to be a pastor or a lawyer with analytical uh, you know, thinking and speaking? And really felt like law was my calling uh, after uh, really a lot of prayer and ended up uh, really starting a group. Uh, back then, there really wasn't a lot of this, but uh, a group that was really dedicated to, to religious freedom and defending religious freedom. And, uh, that was a little over 30 years ago. And, uh, obviously the cases were, uh, weren't as many and weren't as, I mean, there's still plenty of work, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, the, the, I mean, there's not a case I have now that you would have ever believed would ever be a case back then. Wow. You know, the kind of things we're fighting are so outrageous now that just the violations that, uh, they're beyond anything you could, I could have ever imagined. And, uh, but God knew I needed 30 years to slowly build this thing up to get to the point where we could have the capacity that we have now because the attacks are all over the country and uh, all kinds of situations and uh, the battle is definitely on. And uh, if anybody had any question, I think the, uh, uh, the pandemic sort of uh, woke a lot of people up to the fact that uh, religious freedom is not something you can take for granted because there are people, individuals, if they have the power they would love to just shut down the church completely, shut down their ability to worship, shut down their ability to, to, to be the one that really feeds and cares for people during these crises. And uh, as sad as that's to say, we're, we're watching it play out around the country.
0: Yeah. Kelly, what, what is the primary uh, reason for First Liberty Institute? Speaking of the, the organization, because you guys are the largest organization in the country that deals specifically with religious liberty cases, correct?
1: Yeah, we, uh, our goal is to protect and, and defend and really advance religious freedom uh, in our schools, for our churches and religious organizations, in the military, and throughout the public arena. So we, you know, the average person, if they're attacked for their faith, let's, let's take uh, 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 Gabriela Perez, a little five-year-old girl, um, praying in her, in her lunch cafeteria at school when she's caught praying over her meal told to not, you know, specifically told, quote, it's not good to pray at school. Um, she goes home upset, crying. Her parents, you know, what are they supposed to do? I mean, they don't have money to go hire a legal team. Uh, and, and yet, obviously, this is something we don't want to happen in our country. So uh, they're able to reach out to us. We're able to come in at First Liberty, bring a whole legal team uh, all the attorneys, top attorneys in the country, donate their time as we put that t- team together, so that when we win the case with Gabriella, we don't just win for her, but we really set a precedent that protects all of our children and grandchildren. So it's a, it, it really our mission is to help people because without that, we'd all have our freedoms eroded because the government is much more powerful uh, than individuals are around the country, and and nobody should have their rights taken away because they don't have enough money.
0: Yeah. That case, I was actually going to ask if there were a few cases that you could share specifically that highlight exactly the type of work you're doing. So I love that you started off with that. I, I'm, I want to get to more specifics in a second, but I would love to hear an overview. I think that a lot of Christians, especially in the United States, can sometimes slip into the, we have it so much better than other countries do. And While that is absolutely true in many cases, the threat to religious liberties is still obviously very clear and present in our society today. And I'd love to hear from you, why are religious liberties so important? I think we can take them for granted. I think religious freedoms, the founders called it the first freedom. And I'd love to hear you elaborate a little bit more on why to the founders and then why to us today should religious freedom still be the top of our priority list, especially as Christians.
1: No, that's a it's a great question. It's a question a lot of people don't ask and uh and and why some people don't appreciate uh why this is our first freedom. And what I would say is it depends upon who you are. There's a lot of reasons why it's crucial. Uh, if you're a person of faith, then you probably get it. Uh, that, you know, look, if if you can't speak truth about, you know, what where do you go after you die? Uh, how how should you live your life now? Is there somebody you're accountable to? If you can't have opinions and express things about those ultimate issues in life, um, then really there's there's little hope to have lives redeemed, have lives changed. Have, you know, people of faith know this is crucial, but even if you're not a person of faith, it's crucial to you as well because our, our founders understood that this is our first freedom because they understood if you lose this one, you'll lose all of them. And I, all the time, I have people come to me from other countries who were in Czechoslovakia or Romania or you name the country, and they say, "Look, I'm not a religious person, but I want to support your organization." Uh, and you know, I just I saw this happen in my country. I saw them take down the religious symbols, and within you know two weeks or a month or whatever, depending upon the situation, uh, we all lost our political freedoms. And so they said, "I think the what you guys are doing is the most important thing anybody's doing in this country." And I mean, these are people that support us regularly and they're not even people of faith. They just want their freedom. And the best way I guess I can describe why that is true is why is the first freedom? Why is it that if you lose religious freedom, you'll lose everything? Um, Because the one thing that a totalitarian uh, oppressive regime cannot allow to exist is a group of people who hold allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever that type of an oppressive regime comes in, the flashpoint will always be these religious people that won't bow their knee to the government. And if you lose there, you'll lose, you'll lose everything because the oppression will be full. Again, if you can't speak or think about the most important issues of life and eternal life, then you're not going to have freedom to talk about political issues that the government powers don't want you to talk about. So This is really the flashpoint. It really is the sign. It's sort of the the core issue. And if you begin to lose here, you'll begin to lose all the other freedoms that you care about, whether that's free speech, uh, whether that's political freedoms, whether that's even economic freedoms. Uh, They understood it. And so that's why in the very beginning of the First Amendment, the very first two clauses are religious freedoms. And uh, the founders got that. They had seen what had happened. They had studied other countries and they knew that this was the first freedom
0: yeah studying other countries i mean especially if you've if you've done any learning on history especially in the 20th century we know that where this road eventually leads to and so if you do give an inch to the mile or an inch to the government in some of these arenas unfortunately they often do take a mile and so one thing that's important to me, especially for the next generation, is that we would emphasize teaching history, especially the last 100 years, correctly, because we've seen these little steps that eventually turn into a snowball that continues to roll. And eventually, you have things like the Eastern Bloc, where people are rushing to get out of Eastern Europe to, for the sole reason of just practicing their faith and desiring to do that without threat to their families. And so, I love it. Kelly, thank you. Uh, What is the status of religious liberties today in the United States? You know, I know that things seem to me, at least that they've escalated over the last 10 years, kind of the attacks against religious liberties. But I also know that we've had some major wins in the courts over the last few years for people that really value religious liberties and prioritizing the First Amendment. Then 2020 came around. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Could you, from your perspective, share where we at today in the United States?
1: Sort of a mixed bag, I would say, in that the attacks are greater than we've ever seen them on religious freedom. Uh, For instance, I think eight years ago, we had 40 some odd cases. Last year, we had 300. Um, So, I mean, you know, again, watching the pandemic, um, I mean, we had, uh, I'll give you one example of the kind of things we're seeing. Um, We had a a small African-American church who, you know, because of both poverty and people not being able to afford streaming in their home, and because some of them were elderly at their church and didn't really know how to use technology, they couldn't do an online service. Uh, And so, and this is during the shutdown. So what they did is, which a number of churches eventually started doing, they held a uh, drive-in service, meaning you drive into the church parking lot. And in their case, it was a small church. So uh, the pastor, could had such a booming voice, they could just sit in their cars, never come out and have a service, and uh, that's what they did. Well, they, they there were probably six uh, police, I mean, six cars in this church parking lot on uh, good, right before Good Friday. They were surrounded by more police squad cars than there were church cars. So think about this: These are, this is an African American church surrounded in in Greenville, Mississippi by squad cars in their own church parking lot, told if they don't leave, that they're actually going to be criminally prosecuted. And then this is on camera. The white Mississippi police officer says to the black pastor, your rights are suspended because of the the coronavirus. Your rights are suspended, like the constitution no longer applies. So this is the kind of stuff that was happening. But I think the idea that people would uh, we ended up winning a lawsuit like three days later in Louisville. It was the first, really the first, we call it the first shot heard around the country in the coronavirus. It was in Louisville where they did the same thing. They tried to criminalize coming to the church parking lot in your cars. And look, you know, there is no scientific data that you can pass the coronavirus from one automobile to another. I think everybody knows that. <laughs> but there's just no rationale for this at all. And yet this was on Easter weekend the The federal judge that issued the ruling in our favor, I think the first sentence was something to the effect of that he 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 was writing about to write something he had never even imagined he would write or even see in his life, uh, and and his, and it was that the government has criminalized going to church on Easter, uh, and and he that started off his opinion where he said, this country was built on religious freedom. And this is unbelievable what I'm watching here. And it's irrational. It's hostile. It's, you know, they're not treating the church like they are the Walmart. I mean, you can't be in the parking lot. There's 100 people in the, uh, you know, the, the, the Home Depot parking lot, and they're all getting yeah. out of their cars. So there's just, it was clear religious discrimination. And we saw that in lots of different situations. In California, Uh, certainly some real key examples out there of, you know, you, uh, in fact, I'll I'll tell you one of the arguments the state of California made in the court of appeals in one of their cases was that they said, they said the argument was made. Why is it that you can go to the marijuana dispensary or the, or get alcohol, you can go to a, a liquor store, but you can't go to the church. And this is one of their arguments that they said that because congregants can't be trusted, to follow the safety protocols. So the congregants but at churches and synagogues,
0: yeah. yeah, but you
1: yeah. could trust the people yeah. going to the other stores. So it was it was just patently clear discrimination that we were watching. And so, so what? again, first part of what you asked there is, the attacks are greater, and I think the mask has sort of come off for a lot of people to see the hostility, that if they had power, people would just completely shut down religious freedom. But on the other side, I would say the good news is we're actually winning. Uh, Like we've had a number of cases during the pandemic. We've won every case that we filed on behalf of church or synagogue. We've won all of them. Uh, And behind the scenes, sort of a a deeper issue, I don't know how much, whether we have enough time to get into, but uh, is the, the doctrine and the case law and the precedents are now beginning to really change in a positive way. Um, I've been fighting in this field for 30 years, a little over 30 years, and there are major cases that have been really a, a major impediment to religious freedom in the country, one under the Free Exercise Clause and one under the Establishment Clause, the two religion clauses. And if you had asked me four years ago, can you are you going to be able to get rid of those cases in your lifetime? I'd say probably not, but we could chip away at them, try to add more freedom. Um, what I'm watching now is we're in the process of blowing those cases up. Wow. and the the reason for that is is oh well, number 1 is god i mean he's he's changing things but the judges that are being put on the court are different um it's the old process used to be under both party uh, uh, both parties that you sort of it's like hey i helped you get elected president and my buddy my brother is a is a lawyer you need to put him on the court and so there's kind of a lot of politics um, now there's a commitment to putting judges with a proper judicial philosophy who are very accomplished, very bright, but they're committed to what does the text say, what does the Constitution say, what does the statute say, what was the original meaning? And as shocking as that is to most people, that had not been the approach,
0: yeah.
1: And uh, and now it is. And as they do that, they're going back to what the Constitution really says on religious freedom, and we're starting to see a major change. And I think we're just at the beginning really have a hinge point in history on restoring religious freedom uh, in a way that really nobody alive in America has seen. And uh, why that's happening, I, I can't tell you. Is it because um, there's gonna be a revival and there needs to be this kind of religious freedom? I, I don't know, I hope so. Uh, or is it because it's just gonna be so hostile that it's gonna be needed to protect people? I don't know, but I know this, it's happening and I I believe we're really just at the beginning. So it's it's basically good news, bad news. The attacks are greater than we've ever seen, but we're getting some changes, and I think we're just at the beginning of some major changes that are really going to open up religious freedom for people in ways that haven't been there before.
0: Wow, it's amazing. I love that you touch on the the difference, too, between these cases that are sort of a monolith and then the precedent that actually gets set. So these cases are not just a one-off example, but they actually set a precedent for the future that we rely on and look back on. And throughout history, we've seen cases that set a negative precedent that are anti the First Amendment. And then to hear what you guys are doing and advancing and establishing these precedents that judges 20 years down the road will hopefully look back on and be able to rely on these cases that set the framework for what it looks like to-
1: I'll give you an example one Yeah, of those. I would love to um, hear. It'd be great. We we uh, the Bladensburg Cross. Um, mm, yeah. This is a veterans memorial that was put up almost a hundred years ago by mothers who lost their sons in World War One, and um, it was to remember uh, the the young men in that county um, who died in World War One. And it was on American Legion property, and it sat there not bothering anybody, uh, and. What happened is it was right outside of D.C., so they eventually built roads around it. And when they did, the government took over the property. And then go decades more, and all of a sudden, the American humanists come along and say, hey, you've got this memorial here, and it's on government property, and it's a cross. You can't do that. Uh, and they argued, you got to tear it down. Well, I mean, that would be outrageous after about 100 years. Um, and so we went in on behalf of the American Legion to defend uh, the memorial, the cross, And at the district court, we won. At the Court of Appeals, we got a a, a federal uh, court of appeals that was fairly amazing. They said, uh, um, one of the judges during the oral argument said, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross? Because that way, nobody will be offended and we won't have to tear it down. So this is the mindset we were dealing with. Well, two to one, they ruled, yes, after 100 years, this is now all of a sudden unconstitutional. And uh, only two miles from there was Arlington National Cemetery. I mean, they would, if this was the law, they would have to go into Arlington and tear down the crosses in Arlington and uh, just can't even, unthinkable, right? So we went to the Supreme Court on this and we could have just gone for, hey, let's win this case for this memorial. But we knew this was a good opportunity for us to do much more. So if you'll remember, I said earlier, there was a couple of precedents that were just major problems. One of them was under the Establishment Clause, a case called Lemon. And the Establishment Clause says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. I think most of us understand what Congress meant there. They did not want there to be an established religion because then if like there was a national church, then everybody would be forced to support that church. Well, 50 years ago, back around the 1960s, early 70s, the, the Supreme Court, which is more liberal at the time, issued a decision where they said, no, no, it means much more than that. It means, and they just brought all these other concepts, separation of church and state. It means offended observers can bring lawsuits. Normally, you can't bring lawsuits because you're offended. Only if you're offended by religion can you bring lawsuits. And it opened up 50 years of attacks against nativity scenes around Christmas, um, you know, Ten Commandments monuments. uh, I mean, you name it. We've seen it all, right? All that hostility that, and, and most people even today, that if they see religion in public, they wonder if it's okay. The yeah. founders would have had no problem with religion in public. So in this Bladesburg Cross case, we didn't just say, don't tear down this cross. We said, we shouldn't even be here. The only reason we're here is this Lemon case, because this doesn't come anywhere near affecting the Constitution. And we said, you need to get rid of Lemon. And so the good news is we won the case 7-2. But on lemon, we had five, and that's what we needed, a majority. Five justices said, we're not, we're not applying lemon. And and they didn't say it in the opinion, but what they're really saying is lemon is over. Yeah. And other Court of Appeals cases have now followed that, and they've said specifically, lemon is dead. And that was the vehicle, that was the weapon that has been used for 50 years to attack religion. And that's changed. So I've been telling people, really, we've been going this direction for a long time. We just turned. Hmm. Now we still have to build out what this is going to look like on the other side. But we have totally shifted. And the future of the country is going to be very different. And the freedom for people uh, with regard to religion, and and really the end to the hostility by the government to religion, uh, it's a huge change for our country. And that's an example of a case about a veterans memorial, but it ended up being a precedent that's about much more.
0: Yeah, amazing. As we do move forward into this new chapter, into the future, what are some of the the new greatest threats that you anticipate? Not even necessarily specific people or institutions, but ideological threats moving forward well, to religious. The,
1: the biggest threat right now is sort of, I mean, it's, it's even beyond religious freedom. It's this sort of uh, what they call cancel culture um, this whole idea of uh, bullying people who have different beliefs, you know, uh, having them fired, um, you know, telling them they can't speak, uh, you know, the, Facebook and Twitter and and all these technologies that people get their information uh, begin to censor one sides of arguments. Um, that's, I think, the most dangerous thing because this, this country, the whole point of if there's anything American, it's the marketplace of ideas. It's It's the idea that if you're wrong, I, you know, I, I respond to your error with truth and that the truth wins out. And if we start shutting down voices, even ones we disagree with, um, I mean, basically people end up dying from that, uh, because there's not anybody to speak the truth that can save lives. And we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see a lot of this this attitude. It used to be that all Americans at least agreed on one thing, that everybody had a right to free speech, that all sides had a right to present their arguments. Now, whether it's on college campuses where they're trying to bully uh, one side into having maybe a speaker because they don't like what they're going to say, or, you know, we see it in all kinds of ways. People losing their job because of something that was on their Facebook or their Twitter. Uh, You know, I... I feel really bad right now, especially for younger people, because you know, if 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 you had to to watch out for anything you ever said <laughs> in any you know social media or whatever. I mean, everybody said something, you know. And I mean, yeah. we we're immature, we we're growing up, and this is really really dangerous um, and oppressive. And it reminds me a lot more of like the book Nineteen Eighty Four than anything I've ever seen in this country. And hopefully we're going to have victory i think most americans don't like this uh but the only way to encounter this type of bullying is by standing up in their face and saying you won't silence the truth with me and uh and that's not what this country's about yeah and uh and and standing up with people you disagree with and saying they have a right to express their opinion i i'm not a coward so that i can't handle dealing with their ideas yeah that's a real coward. Somebody who doesn't even want to be in an argument because they're scared they'll lose. Yeah, and, well, and we've, something we've, I
0: appreci- well, yeah, we've got I to appreciate-
1: respond to that.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate First Liberty. You guys don't just stand up for Christians either. You stand up for the First Amendment as a whole, which I think is, is massive because we're not shooting for a theocracy here where we're all just wanting to live the exact same value system of religious beliefs, you guys actually believe we need a marketplace of ideas where we're able to freely, without threat, share and process and debate. And it's, it's missed. And so, love it. I think it's really important. I, I'd love to hear from you as we head into this election season. We're 97 days out from the election. And I know that the judicial side of our landscape politically is something that has really large ramifications in this election. I'd love to hear from you. 97 days out, what should Americans, what should people of faith really be keeping in mind?
1: Well, certainly people of faith would be interested in, I mean, one of the issues that's polling really high, much more than before, is religious freedom. And I think uh, they've got to ask candidates who are running for office where they stand on religious freedom because there's some very different approaches. You know, we're seeing that with governors, right? I mean, yeah. one government is doing, every. I mean, one governor or one mayor or whoever is is shutting down all the churches, right? And telling them that they can't sing and and worship and tell them all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, I'm going to be on, we have a little uh, First Liberty Live um, thing that we do at least once a month where we bring on a guest and we talk and we're actually having on the, the worship uh, leader from uh, Bethel Church who started this sort of worship movement uh, when they told them they couldn't worship and sing. They started these huge outdoor worship <laughs> events, which I think is just great, yeah. right? But I mean, the idea that somebody's having to do that—well, you know—in one state you have to do that, in the other states, you know, it's fine to have worship and to have church and to have synagogue, and so you, you've got to you got to find out where people stand and and uh, and and where they will be on these issues. The other, I think, big big issue is the judges. Um, there's a big difference, especially if you're voting. I mean, and for those who don't know, the judges are affected by who the president is and who the Senate is, Um, because the president uh, nominates and the Senate uh, confirms. So the House is not as impactful as that, the U.S. House, but the the Senate and the president will affect what kind of judges. There's been a huge change in the last uh, three and a half years at the type of judges. And uh, the result of that is it's changing the opinions. And again, I, I don't want to get too technical with people, but there's a, um, a, a judicial philosophy called originalism. And what it is about is that you should interpret statutes, laws, a constitution based upon what the original meaning was. Now again, people you know that are watching or listening to your podcast or your, 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 uh, what we're doing right now, might say, well, well, of course that's what they should do. But to be honest, it's been yeah. many, many decades since we've had a Supreme Court who actually thinks that that is their job. And so that's a whole new concept uh, for them to even um, you know, think that that's their job. Well, they might screw it up, but they think that that's their job right now. And so that's very different. So what kind of judges you put in will affect not only at the Supreme Court, but as the lower court, most, 99.9% of cases end before they get to the Supreme Court. So all those lower court judges, there's been 200 uh, confirmed so far under the current administration, most of which have that strong originalist judicial philosophy. And whether you have that for another four years, another two years, you count in the Senate also, will make a big difference on how the cases are interpreted.
0: Yeah. That's great. I, that's something we've talked a lot about on the show is the need now more than ever for the Supreme out. Court and larger... Oh, I'm sorry,
1: court. my earpiece fell out, so I'm oh, not going to be able to sorry, hear you. Oh,
0: sorry. You're great. No problem. <laughs> no problem at all.
1: Okay. I think can I'm hearing you. Hear
0: me? I can. Sorry. Hey, I, there we go. Awesome. Popped out. Sorry about that. No, you're great.
1: No, no, no. This is real. <laughs>
0: not edited. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Hey, we're... I know we're getting to the end of our time here, but I did want to ask you, can you talk a little bit on the reality that our, because I think it's important we remember this especially now more than ever, the rights that we have in this country, and especially religious liberty, religious freedom, rights, are actually not granted to us by the government. They are granted to us by God, and therefore, inherently following that logic, the government cannot take them away. Can you talk a little bit on that and why that's so important to recognize?
1: No, it is important. It's, uh, it's what makes America so different. Um, you know, if you go, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, it talks about those unalienable rights. I think most people remember that sentence, right? Yeah. About, yeah. Uh, you know, life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. But what very few people realize is the next sentence, which says it's because of those rights that we build a government to protect. So the rights don't come from the government. The government's there to help protect those god-given rights, and that's so different because if the government can give you your rights, then the government can take them away. And what makes this such an, a unique country compared to every all the other countries is we think that our liberties come from God and nobody can take them away. And uh, so that that is significant. and that's again another reason we talk about why if you lose religious freedom, You'll you typically lose all your freedom because the government will have total power, and uh, you know it's it's amazing how a lot of these other ideologies, socialism communism, and communism and all these things, a crucial element. If you look at, I mean, even people on both sides that admit this in the uh, um, you know in the literature, uh, the amazing thing is that those those approaches, Marxism and socialism, etc., they cannot have what I would call intermediary institutions, something between the individual and the state that has power, like the church, the family, the parents. And so you'll always see an attack on religious freedom, on the church, on, you know, family structure, parents, etc. because the state has to have the children to be children of the state. There can't be anything in the way. And so that's, that's just, you know, that that is the very core, and people again, people who aren't religious most of the time don't get this. But I tell you what, if you're not religious and you come from one of these other countries and lost your freedoms, you get it better than most religious people do in the United States. So it should be something that everybody comes together on and and is totally saying, you're not taking religious freedom away in this country because I know where that leads, and I want my freedom. Uh, but education is needed. And and therefore the kind of thing you're doing now is so important that people know. And I would tell people also, they can go to our website at, you spell it out, firstliberty.org. And there's a, you can sign up for the insider. And once a week, you'll get an email on sort of the cases, the battles, what's happening. Um, I, I encourage people to get knowledgeable so they can sort of be the Paul Revere to everybody else and say, Hey, did you know about your freedoms? You know, did you know, we, their case was just one, so that people aren't intimidated and bullied and into not speaking their minds and, and living out their faith. So uh, uh, I'd encourage people get into that kind of a list like we have so that you can be uh, really in the know and then you can inform others and empower others.
0: Awesome. I'm a part of that list. I do highly recommend that. It's very helpful and insightful. And actually, funny enough, you mentioned Sean Foyt and how you're uh, gonna be speaking with him. I was a part of organizing the event he just held in San Diego on Sunday ah. right? It was amazing. It was amazing. That's great. What Makes- I
1: love about that is not just complaining about the loss of freedoms, but exercising your freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you know, and I talked about earlier, if we really are, as I believe, and we're, we're going to have to be diligent in doing this, but we, if we really are at the beginning of every American having more religious freedom than they've ever had, then sort of the, the I guess the response to that is, if God gives us all this freedom, extra freedom, And we don't do anything with it. I mean, you know, how sad. Uh, So I think everybody's going to be challenged with, if you are a person of faith, what are you going to do with your religious freedom? You know, I love what Sean Foyt did. I mean, that, but that's the type of thing that all of us can do. We can just say, what can I do? You know, I'm going to live out my freedom. As they try to shut this stuff down, I'm going to, I'm going to live out my freedom. I'm going to speak up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love somebody. I'm going to serve somebody, you know, in ways that they're telling me I can't because I'm a church. Uh, people need to step up and step out. And yeah. uh, that's, that's it. he's a great example of, uh, of not just complaining, but doing something positive.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. Saw hundreds of salvations and baptisms and really special. Uh, Kelly, with the 60 seconds we have left, I would love to hear from you. What's one moment during your career where you kind of sat back, maybe it was a case, that you ran and said, this is exactly, I'm doing what I need to be doing?
1: Well, I guess the thing that pops into my mind first is uh, when I when I graduated law school, I, I I graduated top of my class and I had all these nice offers. And, you know, I felt God calling me to do what I was doing now. And, and everybody was kind of telling me, including my mom, you know, your moms are like this. Why would you do that? You could be making so much money, you know, are you sure this is what you're supposed to do? And And I'm so glad that I did what God was telling me to do, because I think if you're, you know, why spend your life sort of spitting into the wind, right? Go with the flow, right? Take your gifts that that you've been given and use them for your passion. And there's lots of different ways to do that. But I'll never forget, I had, it wasn't, I don't know, seven years later, I was at the United States Supreme Court arguing my first First Amendment case. And I remember walking out the front door as we were leaving. There's just nothing like using your gifts after a lot of prayer on something that's important and just feeling like you're really moving the way you were created to move Hmm. and and living out of that. And I remember, I'll never forget, my wife and I were walking out on those top steps about to walk down from the Supreme Court and she turned to me and she said, this is what you were born to do. And uh, that's probably it because I I thought, boy, I would have missed all of this. Yeah. if I would have listened to what people were telling me was the smart thing to do or the the thing to make the most money so I just tell people if God's whispering to you or talking to you or if you're not paying attention to what he's saying do uh, and the most the most particularized expression of his will for your life is how he created you and so live out of that and use your gifts um, and uh, it's gonna require courage because when you start to have impact somebody's gonna try to intimidate you but live out of your gifts and walk with courage.
0: Amen. Inspiring, Kelly. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed our time today. So appreciate it. And uh, blessings. God bless you. We're praying for you as you continue to venture on throughout the rest of 2020 and all that you have in store and all that you're fighting for.
1: Hey, thank you. Bless you, brother.
0: Thank you. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. It was a blast getting to connect with Kelly about these important topics. I had so many major takeaways, but a few that I'd love to mention... There are so many decisions being made right now by pastors and church leaders as to when to open their congregations fully. What does that look like? Bottom line is, regardless of how you feel in that debate of when it's time to open, when it's not, the government should not be able to make that decision. And it's a constitutional overreach for the government to attempt to mandate when a church opens their doors again. So that's a major takeaway. And we have to be aware of that in the middle of this COVID-19 season where many states, including my own here in California, are attempting to do just that as a government overstep. Second thing that was a big takeaway for me is that religious liberties are so important to protect, not just when you're the snowball's halfway down the mountain. We need to wake up and protect them now. Realizing that the freedom of religion is the foundation for all other freedoms. That's why it was called the first freedom by our founders. It's a beautiful God given concept. And because our rights to practice our faith are God given, they're unalienable, government cannot take them away. So, with that being said, the last thing I would say is that what's the big enemy to that as we head into the next decade? Well, Kelly made it very clear, and I agree. I believe it's censorship and the censorship of ideas that big tech or government may not agree with. We need a free society where we're able to engage in a marketplace of ideas, have intelligent debate, thoughtful debate, bring ideas to the table, seek truth together, have the freedom to express the way, the truth, the life in public, and we should do everything we can to prioritize that into the future. If you enjoyed Kelly and you'd like to hear more about who he is, what he's up to, and First Liberty Institute, you can head to firstliberty.org. You can become a First Liberty insider and receive weekly updates from the organization at at firstliberty.org. You can also donate. So if you'd feel led and you'd like to sow into what they're doing and what God is doing through this organization around the country to protect the First Amendment and religious liberties, you can do that on their site as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share this content, subscribe to the show. It has been a blast with you all today and an absolute honor. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.